1996, I was learning how to drive. It was a special time for my parents, I'm sure. At the time, my family lived in King Road, off of King Road and Loomis, so if you're familiar with it, we lived on Sugarloaf Mountain. Some of you might know that place, okay? And our driveway was long, and it was flat for a long time, but then we had to go up this hill, and you had to gun it in order to get up to the top where our house was, and it was very narrow, and so it's flat, and then all of a sudden, it's like this. So I had to gun it every time. And it made me a little nervous every time I had to do it, especially at the start. So here I am in my parents' like 19, is used, like probably like a late 80s, early 90s, Chrysler New Yorker. It was maroon (laughs) with a maroon plush interior. Can you visualize it? Yes. Okay. Let me just tell you, those seats were the most comfortable seats I've ever been in in a car. And that AC, it was before they, like, changed all the rules. That AC was cold. So it would have been handy on a day like today. Anyway, so this is a car I'm driving. (laughs) This is the car I learned how to drive. Chris, do you have a particular affinity for Chrysler New Yorkers? Because you are very excited about this. This, Okay, the seats. Got it. So here we are. My dad's in the passenger seat. And I'm about ready to, like, just go up this hill, right? And my dad pointed out to me. I start to sing, like, under my breath. It was 1996, so, like, it was probably, like, Shout to the Lord or something like that. Remember that era of worship music? For those of you who are Christians back then. So I start to sing, like, a nervous singing, and then I gun it, you know, to get up to the top of the hill. And my dad, I was totally subconscious, and my dad points it out to me. It's like, oh, you sing a little when you get nervous. (laughs) Which is funny, because there's some things, right, that... Words aren't just enough. It's, it's got to come out also in another way. And I think singing does that for us in some way. Um, there is something inside of us that needs to have voice that is beyond words alone. And at this point, I mean, I, you guys know, most of you, if you've been around, I like to sing. I sing a lot. You know, my husband has even told me that sometimes, like, in the middle of the night, I'm singing. It's just... <laughs> Kind of comes at like a sleep, you know, sleep singing. Some of us talk. Apparently, I sing. Anyway, there is something inside of us that needs to have voice that's beyond words alone. And so whether it's like a nervous thing or a super excited thing or a joyful thing, this singing and music kind of give voice to emotions that, you know, if I'm just talking, it's not going to be enough, right? There's really a song for every human emotion, Every, every, every even, like, combination of human emotions, right? And the Christian faith was birthed in a song. I like to think about Jesus and the first Last Supper. You know, he's with the disciples, and he, he's explaining, you know, take this, it's my body. Take this, it's my blood. Drink it. Do this in the remembrance of me. And some part that kind of gets skipped over there at the very end, when they were done, they sang a hymn of praise. And this is sort of with Christianity kind of cradled in Judaism. We draw on so many psalms and songs as part of our worship that we've sort of inherited from the, um, the, from Judaism. And here's just a couple examples. Psalm 5, it says, But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them 
ever sing for joy. That my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. Psalm 66, sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. I love that song that Josh did, just did just now. And yeah, such good stuff. Psalm 47, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. So we see this, I mean, I could go on. There was like, I typed in sing in psalms. I didn't even type in singing. And there was like a hundred things. So it's like, it's endless the amount of times we're kind of encouraged and invited to sing. Music and worship is such a gift from God. And it's a gift that we've been given to also give back to him, right? So today, I want to talk a little bit about, as you might have guessed, worship in light of this love and power series that we're currently in. And I think it's helpful to define worship. We, we throw that word around a lot. We don't really throw it. We hold it actually very preciously, that word. Um, but let me just take a moment to, to somewhat define it for you. Worship is an expression of devotion and adoration to God. To worship God is to ascribe his supreme worth, to ascribe to him his supreme worth. Now, I want to say, first off, that there are many expressions of worship. There are many ways in which we worship God today. But for the sake of time, today I want to focus on just one part, and that is singing praises to God. So that's what we're going to focus on when I say worship. I want you to think of it in terms of that, but realize it is much greater than that, but I'm focusing on one part. <coughs> so we sing here every week, and sometimes it's good to sort of pull back and look at why we do what we do. Um, it brings so much weight and meaning to it. And have you ever wondered why we as Christians sing together? Why do we all kind of get here, you know, roughly the same time? The band starts playing. We kind of synchronize our breathing, right? We form syllables to specific tones and pitches at a, at a certain rhythm. And we all join together and we sing a song. Why do we even do that? What is the purpose of singing? So today we're going to look at Acts chapter 16. Open up your Bibles there. And I'm just going to kind of summarize this chapter for you at points, and we'll also specifically look at certain key verses along the way. But it's essentially the story of the birth of the church in Philippi, which is was a Greek province way back then. It probably still is. And it um, is kind of the first, the first church outside of, or in Europe, in that part of the world, was what we call Europe today. So what's going on at this point is Paul and Silas, they are in Galatia and Phrygia. These are all modern-day Turkey. They're traveling around, and they're wanting to go preach, but for some reason, the Spirit of Jesus does not allow Paul to preach the gospel in these places. Then they end up in a place called Troas. God still does not permit Paul to preach the gospel for some reason. And it's there, I, I'm sensing frustration, and it doesn't really say for sure, but it's like, yeah, I went here, and he said no, and I went there, and he said no. So it's like, I would be frustrated. Traveling wasn't like hopping on an hour flight, you know. It's like a big deal back then. So they're there, 
in Troas, and it's there that he has a dream. Paul, he has a dream. And his, in his dream, a Macedonian Greek man is standing before him, and he's saying, please come to us and help us. Paul wakes up the next morning, confers with Silas. God is calling me to preach the gospel in Macedonia. So they get on a boat. They make their way to Macedonia, right? It's at this point, Paul's there for a few days, he's preaching, he's going to these places of prayer, and he begins to preach to a group of women. In this group is a woman by the name of Lydia. She is a seller of purple, so she's well-dressed, okay? She's a businesswoman. It seems that she's very prominent in her time, and God opens her heart to the message that Paul is preaching, and she becomes the first convert in this region and outside of Israel, outside of Jerusalem. She becomes the first convert, and her entire household comes to know Christ. They all believe, and they are all saved. And so Lydia says, hey, guys, stay with me. If you believe that I believe, you stay with me. And so they say, yeah, we're going to hang out with you for a little bit, and we're going to stay. And the ministry in Philippi in this town continues. So we're kind of getting a lot of context here, but I feel like it's important um, before we get to some key verses here that I want to focus on. So the ministry continues in Philippi, all right? Then Paul and Silas go out one day, and they come in contact with a slave girl, and she is, has a spirit that allows, that enables her somehow to predict the future. So she's demon-possessed. She she is being um, completely exploited by her owners, and they are just making money hand over fist with, with her ability. And then in verse 17, you want to pick up, we're going to read it here. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed have you ever been annoyed by somebody else's demons before? <laughs> Isn't that a funny thought? Like, they weren't afraid. Those demons couldn't hurt them. It just, it was annoying. So, he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. This, 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 she wasn't even saying anything wrong. I kind of wonder if, like, that is a, a demonic thing when they're kind of cozy up to you with just enough truth to try to hook you, Right? But then, bam, it's all nasty after that. <laughs> like, it's all kinds of wrong after that. So Paul cast this demon, this annoying demon, out of this woman. And at that moment, of course, the spirit left her, right? Well, her owners were infuriated. So they throw all these accusations at Paul and Silas. They bring them into the marketplace. They beat them up. They get the, the magistrates all in on it. And it was a very effective first century cancel campaign against Paul and Silas at that moment. Maybe even faster than our current Twitter and, like, Instagram cancel campaigns. I mean, they just, bam, beaten in prison. It's done. False accusations put against them. They were just mad that they're goose that laid the golden egg was, was no longer working the way they wanted her to. So to summarize up until this point, God sends Paul and Silas to Philippi, right? 
The church there is birthed and financially supported with the conversion of Lydia and her household. Paul is walking in the power of the spirit and casts out an annoying demon. The woman is set free. The explorers of the woman wage their cancel campaign, right? Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown into, the, into prison. They are in the inner cell. It's dark. They have been put in shackles. It's the inner cell. So I just picture no light. It's probably really stinky and like musty in there. And what do Paul and Silas do in this moment? That's what? That's right. They sing. They sing praises to God. Let's look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I have to wonder if Paul and Silas felt like worshiping in that moment. It's, mid, it's a little late. They're hungry. They're beaten. They're tired. It would have been perfectly understandable and perfectly okay if they just sort of tried to lay down and maybe get a bit of sleep to escape the reality of the situation. I think that's probably honestly what I would want to do at that moment. But yet something in the spirit of God was drawing them, inviting them to be filled and sustained and strengthened for whatever was to come. They didn't know. Was it death? Was it deliverance? They didn't know. And from that place, when the spirit of God is drawing them in to sing, the treasure of their hearts began to pour out. The fruit of their lips brought a sacrifice of praise, and it formed words and a melody, and it overflowed in praise to God in that moment. Hebrews 13 talks about this. In verse 15, it says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. This is what they were doing in that moment. It's midnight. It's not going to get any darker. <laughs> it's not going to get any stinkier. The pain is not going to get any better necessarily. It is a bad moment, and they bring this sacrifice of praise, the fruit of their lips that openly profess the name of Jesus. I love this idea of the fruit of their lips. Let's think about that for a minute. At some point, something was planted. At some point, it was nurtured, and in this moment, it was bearing a beautiful fruit, a fruit of just adoration and love and surrender to the will of God. And I don't like to, to speculate too much at this point in the story, but I'm going to a little bit anyway. I can totally imagine them singing familiar phrases from the Psalms. Even if I go to the depths, you are there. I mean, they're in the inner dungeon, right? the depths, that's from Psalm 139, or even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me, from Psalm 23. Or how about from Psalm 119, at midnight I rise to give you thanks. They would have been well acquainted with the Old Testament accounts, with like Joshua and the battle of Jericho. It's time to worship. When it's time to fight, it's time to worship. They would have had this in their hearts. 
and it came out as a sacrifice of praise to God. The long-held rhythms of worship, the long-held disciplines of going to synagogue and praying, the long-held study of the Torah rose up within them and overflowed in praise. And I will tell you, friends, the worship we sing at noonday, at noonday, whether we feel like it or not, whether it's convenient or not, that worship will give voice to the song we need at midnight, just as it did for Paul and Silas. We plant with praise. We plant with worship. And when nothing is left of our own strength and we're spent, a sacrifice of praise comes forth and the Spirit of God will move in love and power. And this is exactly what happened in this instance with Paul and Silas. God showed up. I mean, he just, bam, he came. He was there. He showed up in love and power. And it wasn't a moment too late. Though you could argue, like, why not dusk? I don't know. He waited till midnight, but he showed up at midnight. Why not wait till tomorrow morning? Maybe more people would have been awake. Maybe more. No. At night, in the middle of the night, at the worst part of the day, he came, he delivered, he rescued. And this is how he did it. Verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. When we worship, not only are our own souls nourished in the power of love of God, but we become a conduit for the love and power of God to the lives of others around us. Do you remember the other prisoners were listening to them, singing and praying? They too were set free. Come on. Come on. Even the guy who was asleep, the jailer, he is transformed because of this display of love and power. And this is what happened in verse 27. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. This was a shameful failure. He was implored to <laughs> make sure these guys don't get out, right? So shameful failure. He was going to kill himself. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. That's some love right there. That is some love that Paul was showing in the midst of God's powerful display with this earthquake, the love of God was also there to say, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Of course, the jailer was amazed. I mean, wouldn't you be amazed? He called for the lights on. He's like, can we get some lights in here? It's dark. And he rushed and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? This was an amazing display of power unto transformational salvation for this man. And the transformation continued. And I love what happened next. So Paul and Silas say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. I'm at verse 31, verse 32. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. And at that time, the jailer took them back to his house he nursed their wounds. He fed them food. His entire household was baptized. What is it, like 3 a.m. at this point? I don't even know. It's, it's in the middle of the night. They just kept going, and the entire household was saved. 
and brought into the community of believers there in Philippi. What an amazing way to start a church. You got Lydia, you got this jailer guy, you got all these prisoners set free. All of their shackles fell off. That is some earthquake to just strategically, we got doors opening, shackles opening. Uh, God did this amazing work unto love and power. And the inflictor of pain, the jailer, becomes a healer. And the worship of Paul and Silas was a spirit-enabled display of love. The earthquake, a display of God's power. And this brought about great transformation, as I've already mentioned, with everyone in earshot. Okay. At this point, I think it's important to say that singing to God is not some sort of incantation, you know, by where we sort of manipulate or bargain with him to do something we want him to do. Um, I'm thinking about time that I've spent in Thailand and Vietnam in particular where so much of the religious activity, I'm talking even the decor, sort of centered around getting uh, evil spirits to not do bad things to you or trying to like incite some sort of good luck. And with, with God, it's so completely different than that. It is so much more intimate and relational. In worship, we are yielded to and commune with God, God in three persons, the God of the universe, the master of the universe, the one who has lavished his love upon us. That's who we're talking to. It's, it's intimate and relational. The one who has a plan for us and he is working it out in us and through us. He is for us. He died for us. This is who we're singing to. And we become yielded and surrendered to him in these moments. We're reminded of the truth in such a powerful way. And this is the expression where as we pour out something to God, he fills us back up. I mean, this is how it happens, right? The jailer heard the song. And then he joined in the song. And I want to implore you this morning that the greatest transformation comes when we join in the song. And at this point, I'm kind of speaking more metaphorically than I am, literally. He joined in worship. He joined in the community of faith. And that is where the transformation began to happen. And I think a lot of us, we are very content to let others sing the song and us just listen. We're content to let others sort of carry the weight. Of maybe you're like, oh, I don't really like to sing. I know, you know, some, some of us love it more than others. I am fully aware of that. The greatest transformation comes when we join in with it. You, you have a voice. And I think it's, we, 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 that phrase is like really common right now. And I'm not talking about like the voice to like, stoke fires on social media and like have political commentary. I'm talking about your, your voice to sing literally and your voice to speak literally is a, an amazing gift that you have been given by God by design to worship him with. And the highest and greatest use of your voice is to worship him with all your heart. That is why we have it. That is, that is the its basic, most foundational purpose is to bring him glory. 
So don't hold back. Don't wait for others to sing and worship. Join in with your hearts. And you guys, I'm probably preaching to the choir here. <laughs> you guys do sing. You do worship. My hope for our community is that we would worship even stronger. That we would take the next step individually and together in making his praise glorious. Do you sing sort of like a nervous whisper, you know, like I'm in my like maroon Chrysler, that kind of singing? Or do you come in and you're like, yeah, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We're going to sing it out. I don't even know this song yet, but we're going to go for it. Come with that kind of heart, just of abandon and, and, and worship unto God. I got a new Bible for Christmas. And you know how at the end, of, I don't know if your Bible's like this, but at the very bottom, or mine's on the side, my new Bible's on the side, there's cross-references. And I have so enjoyed this year as I've studied the Bible, it's just, I look at all the cross-references. It's bringing a lot of life to my Bible study time. And at the point when Paul and Silas are singing at midnight, there's a cross-reference, and I want to read it to you because it's so powerful. It's Ephesians 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine. That probably wasn't really even an option for Paul and Silas, but which leads to debauchery. Instead... Verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't understand this mystery. It's still even a bit of a mystery to me of why when we sing, when I sing, that is a way that the Lord uses to continually fill me with his spirit. I don't, I, it's, it's a bit of a mystery. It's a beautiful thing. This, when we come together to sing, there is power in that. We, a lot of things happen in. We declare the truth of who God is in worship. We recognize the source of power and love when we sing together in worship. And we are surrendered to God. We are sustained by him. And as we worship, our hearts are oriented to Christ as we glorify and magnify him. So that's my encouragement for you all today. We're actually going to sing together a little bit right now. We're going to kind of, we're going to skip the piece is what we're going to do. And, and worship, we're going to respond in song to the Lord this morning. I think it's only fitting. And will you stand with me? I just want to pray over us as we do, as we kind of go into this next time of worship. We'll also be receiving the offering and communion and all that as we move along. But I wanted us to, I didn't want to just talk about it without us being able to dive right in and actually sing together. So let me pray. Lord, you alone are worthy of praise, God. Nobody comes even a close second in your goodness, in your kindness, in your worth. 
Lord, we yield our hearts to you, God. For you alone are worthy of praise. In your goodness, Lord, we, we yield to you. We surrender our hearts to you. Lord, help us to rearrange our perspective, Lord, where we elevate you above all else. God, I thank you that you can nurture us in those moments. Lord, whether we feel like we are in a midnight situation or the sun is shining bright and all is well, Lord, we come to you, God, with sincere hearts in worship and gratitude for who you are. And Lord, we don't hold back pouring out our praise to you. Lord, you have so lavished your love upon us. You have so expressed your heart to us in many ways, full of love, full of power, Lord. We want to bring a sacrifice of praise and honor to you this morning. Lord, be glorified in this place today and every day. Be magnified always in our midst, Lord, that you would always be elevated to your proper place. We exalt you. We worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.